the woman and the dragon. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared to her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they, were lost, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his, name is his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to take, make war against the rest of her offspring those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. A, a few months ago now, um, two nuclear submarines, one French and one British, collided in the Atlantic Ocean. And um, people asked, how on earth could that happen in a, a an ocean the size of the Atlantic and with two very sophisticated submarines and the reply is one of them that was given was well actually they have such sophisticated technology that they make themselves undetectable believe that you might uh, in, the, in the air we have uh, one of the uh, US Air Force's uh, 
most powerful uh, aircraft. This is a stealth bomber, which uh, again is a plane that uses quite complicated technology to avoid being detected by the, the radar um, defence systems of enemy countries as it drops its destructive cargo. Well, soon we're looking at another invisible enemy, someone who thrives on remaining undetected, and whose most powerful strategy is to convince people that either he doesn't exist, or that he's actually not very powerful or worth worrying about. I'm talking about the devil, or Satan, a name which means enemy, and an enemy we need to take seriously, because Jesus himself took him seriously. If we think of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, he prayed, deliver us from the evil one. When Jesus prayed to the Father for his disciples before he was crucified, he prayed this prayer. He said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And so if Jesus took the devil seriously, then of course so should we. Well, we are, as I mentioned before, coming to the end of a sermon series on praying for others, looking at some of Paul's key prayers as models for our own prayers. And the aspect, as I mentioned, we're looking at this evening is praying for spiritual protection. And the passage I'd like you to turn to now as we look at that is uh, from 2 Thessalonians. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and it's on page 1190 of the Church Bibles. Thessalonians chapter 3 and I'm starting to read verse 1 through to verse 5 Finally brothers pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not everyone has faith but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. The particular part of this prayer that I guess most people would be able to relate to is the part where Paul prays, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. But when we get on to the next verse, it becomes then quite alien almost, isn't it? Because there he says, the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And the reason the concept of an evil one or a devil would be quite alien to most people is that they don't believe in the spiritual realm full stop. Uh, we had some people around uh, last night, some friends who are not uh, Christians, and uh, they uh, did happen to ask me, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said to them, you know, I'm preaching on spiritual warfare. And of course, to a non-believer, what is spiritual warfare? If you don't believe in the spiritual world, it means absolutely nothing to them. You know, these people don't believe in God. They live their lives as if what they see in the physical world is all that there is. And likewise, if you were to ask uh, most members of government, you know, what is the, the cause of the problems that you are dealing with in the world at the moment? Think of the war in Afghanistan they would probably say, well, wicked and evil men. And how do you deal with that problem? Well, you get rid of the wicked and evil men. 
they would have no concept of an evil spirit working in these people. But of course the reason why, as Jesus himself says, there will continue to be wars and rumours of wars is that getting rid of evil men doesn't get rid of the evil spirit. He merely moves on to the next people. And of course the devil doesn't just work at the level of international warfare, he can work to disrupt the, the everyday lives of, of normal people. The evidence can be seen all around us in the world and in greed, in dishonesty, in sexual immorality, broken relationships. For those who don't believe in the spiritual world, all you can do with those problems is educate people or legislate against them. But as we know, neither of those works. Giving out free condoms to 12-year-old boys is not going to bring down the incidence of sexually transmitted diseases. In the same way that legislating against bankers' bonuses is not going to get rid of greed. Because we are all in the grip of Satan. He is the god of this world. But many people don't realise it. The only real solution to the problem is, is freeing people from the evil one. That can only happen by the spread of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. So the first point I want to make tonight is that we ignore the devil at our peril. That goes for us as Christians as well. When we were on holiday, we were staying with some friends for the first weekend. Uh, we were all as a family sleeping together in one big room. And um, in his sleep, Zach started to act rather strangely. He started to be doing a bit of this, you know. And we were a bit worried because he was sharing a mattress with Joe. And we thought um, he might get the, uh, the, the end of... Uh, Zach's boxing. I quickly realised that actually he'd obviously been on the Wii too long playing the boxing game. Uh, the objective of that game is to basically knock your opponent out until he doesn't get up again. And uh, maybe realise that the interesting thing with the sport of boxing is that when these, these boxers are knocked unconscious, um, they don't actually realise they've lost um, until they wake up again, do you? Their, their, their victor is there parading, you know, he's won. And the poor guy doesn't even know that he's lost. And of course, that is a bit like what it's like with the devil. You know, if we don't take him seriously, it's like we are there unconscious whilst the devil is celebrating all around us, waving his arms in victory, to which we are totally oblivious. Now at this point, if you are already a Christian, you may be thinking, well, look, I know there's a devil. I don't need you to convince me that he exists. Let me ask you, how many issues in your life do you deal with purely in terms of the symptoms? How many times when you feel angry, when you feel frustrated, when you feel sad, do you stop and think, well, hang on, this is the devil actually here having a go at me. He's attacking me where he knows I am vulnerable. Often when you are critical of somebody else who's done something wrong, do you you stop and actually pray for them, knowing that that they are under the influence of the devil who caused them to do that thing that's caused you wrong. When you meet with those who are are not Christians, do you think, well, actually, they're not much different from me at all. We are very much very similar. Or do you actually plead with God that they would live in the same spiritual realm as you do? When you think of Jesus defeating sin on the cross, do you think of that sin as some sort of abstract power? Or do you think of it also in terms of 
of Jesus overcoming the devil and his armies. Uh, we turn briefly to Colossians back um, a couple of letters, or just one letter. Colossians chapter 2, verse uh, 13. Let's see what it says here, page 1183. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Look how it carries on here. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Or if we were to turn to 1 John 3, we would say there, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. On the cross, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities of the devil. But whilst the, the outcome of that battle is now assured, which is why we can trust in Jesus' protection, and we'll come on to that shortly, the battle is still raging and we, we need to be alert to it. Because as it says in 1 Peter, it says, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? So what is it about the devil that we need to be aware of then? If we need to be aware of him prowling around, what is it exactly? Who exactly is the devil? What does the Bible tell us? Well, first thing he tells us is he is a person. Like the Holy Spirit, he's not some sort of abstract force or power. He has a, a personality, he is a distinct entity. And therefore he has a name, actually. He's given various names in the Bible. Beelzebub, uh, Satan, Belial, the evil one, the wicked one. But where did he come from? You know, we see him, if we were to turn to the book of Job in the Old Testament, he's there, he's there with God, claiming that Actually, the faith of Job is only because, you know, Job's been blessed with so many good things. Take all those things away, and Job will lose his faith. That is Satan at work there. We know he was around at the time of David. Uh, it says that David was tempted by Satan to carry out a census of all the fighting men in Israel at that time. That was against the will of God. And of course, he was there in the Garden of Eden, tempting Adam Eve. So evil was already in the world when God made man. And probably the most plausible explanation for that, which seems to be indicated by the passage which Charles read out earlier, is that, that Satan was one of the angels previously created by God. One who became tired of being a servant of God. One who challenged God's authority. He wanted to be like God. And therefore, as a result, he was punished and he was cast out of heaven. But as a <coughs> being, he is superhuman. He is bigger and stronger than people. But he's not divine. He's, he, he's not God. He's still a created being. He's a person. He's a created being. He's also very powerful. And his power comes out quite clearly in the various descriptions that we find of him in the Bible. In Ephesians, it refers to him as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So he has subjects, those who follow him. He's also referred to as the God of this world. He's therefore, he has those who, 
who worship him. Jesus himself describes him in Luke as a strong man, fully armed, guarding his possessions. So people are in the grip of him, they are imprisoned by him. As we mentioned earlier, he's described as a roaring lion, he's the king of the beasts. The passage from Revelation, we saw some symbolic language, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads who swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And he even had the audacity to tempt the Son of God to say to him that all this can be yours if you bow down and worship me, the devil. That takes a bit of fun, doesn't it, really? The passage, I think, probably the stress is just how powerful is he is is the one we, we read out at the beginning of this service from Ephesians 6, where it says, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on everything that God has given you in order to withstand him. You know, unless you do that, unless you treat him with respect, unless you put on everything, you're going to lose those battles against him. And if we are honest, we know that from our own experience, don't we? And if we don't put on the belt of truth, if we don't put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to cover all that in prayer, we will struggle. We are up against a powerful enemy. And unless we acknowledge that, we will come a cropper. But what does the devil use that power for then? What is actually his his purpose. But after he was thrown out of heaven, and we don't know why God allowed him to continue to exist in many ways, or why he allowed him to take a, a legion of, of followers, an army with him, um, but presumably that did serve to, to glorify God. But the devil's purpose became from that point on to ruin God's perfect world. You know, when God made the world, it says in Genesis, uh, he was pleased with it. When he made humankind, he was very pleased with what he had made. He enjoyed the relationship he had with the people he'd made, with Adam and Eve. And so the devil comes in, and having been rejected by God himself, he sets about to destroy God's world. He sets about to destroy that relationship between man and God. And we see that in the other descriptions used of Satan. He's referred to as the adversary, the accuser, the father of lies, one who makes war against the saints. But as a result of the fall, Satan got people to follow him as their God instead of the real God. They became followers of him, they became slaves to him as he became the God of the world. And the amazing thing is that he wields his power, he wields his influence over people without them even realising. People think they are free, they think they are independent, they are their own masters, but actually they're really slaves to Satan and what he wants them to do. His purpose is to keep them in slavery. Our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ is to release them from slavery. I wonder if you'd just like to turn to Acts chapter 26 for a, a minute. So you'll find that on page 1124. 
Acts 26, 18, this is uh, Paul talking about um, his conversion, uh, how the Lord met him and spoke to him on the road to Damascus. And uh, this is what he says, end of verse 17. Jesus speaking to Paul says, I am sending you to them, the Gentiles, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That was Paul's job, and that is our purpose too. You know, we do that by ensuring here, as going back to 2 Thessalonians, it says, uh, verse 1, that the message of the, the, um, of the Lord spreads rapidly and is honoured, and whenever we do that, whenever we try to spread the, the gospel, we will come up against the devil. We will come up against opposition. And the battle doesn't end once people are converted. It doesn't end once people are freed <coughs> from slavery to Satan because he doesn't leave it there. You know, Satan will try and do anything to win them back. And the way he does that is by trying to undermine their faith in God. He won't let go. It's a bit like the, uh, the people you'll find at Maravone Station if you come back through that way trying to convince you to change your energy, energy supplier. They don't let go, do they? If you ever make the mistake of actually engaging them in conversation, they will convince you by any means to change your energy supplier. I speaking to a neighbour just the other day um, who said he made the mistake of getting into a conversation with them. And uh, fortunately he said, well, it got to the point where his train was leaving. And he could say, look, my train's going, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to go. He couldn't believe it when the guy said, that's all right, I'll come with you. (laughs) (laughs) He got off, apparently, at High Wycombe and went back. Satan won't take no for an answer. Well, let's look at the means that the devil uses to achieve his purposes then of trying to undermine our faith and to destroy God's work. We've said that the devil is powerful, but he doesn't show off his strength because his greatest strategy is that most people don't believe that he exists. They aren't aware of his existence, or, or they don't believe, if, he, if they do believe he exists, that he's powerful. And therefore, he can mount strike after strike without people even realizing who is it exactly behind this. There are many ways in which the devil will attack us and they're all very subtle. We'll try and undermine our faith. And we've got time to look at all the devil's uh, different ways of doing that. But let me just mention a few now. One of those is doubt. The way in which Satan attacked Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was through sowing seeds of doubt. Do you remember what uh, Satan said to Eve? He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. But did God really say that? And that starts off a train of thought that, that questions what God actually said, whether it was true, why he would say it. Contrary to what Richard Dawkins and others may think, as, as Christians we believe that we were made differently from animals. We were made with the capacity to think to reason, to to make choices and decisions. And and doubt, therefore, is something which 
affects all of us. It affects us as Christians from time to time. We will be thinking, have I made the correct decision? What would Jesus do in this situation? And it's not easy living in a society that, that not only ignores God, but that at times can be quite condescending towards Christians. Particularly when you read articles like the ones uh, by Richard Dawkins in the Times this week. He's now on a, a new crusade against, um, not really a new crusade for him, but against uh, creationism. It's natural that we will grapple with doubts from time to time about our faith. And they may be intellectual doubts to do with <coughs> creation, to do with the existence of evil and suffering, to do with election and free will. There may be moral doubts to do with the way I live a Christian lifestyle in the 21st century. But whatever those doubts may be, the mere existence of them, firstly, doesn't mean that we're not able to come to faith in the first place. You know, many people still have doubts at the moment of, uh, of commitment. But they give their lives over to Christ, trusting that he will help them and work through them and overcome them. And also, if you've been a, a Christian here for years, you know, and you, you encounter a few doubts, that doesn't mean that you, you've lost your faith. None of us are safe from doubt, however long we've been a Christian, it's just Satan having a go. And quite often the good thing is that God actually uses these doubts to, to help us get back to the fundamentals of what we really believe in. You know, maybe we have become sidetracked by, by minor issues. Maybe we've become so caught up in our, our Christian ministry that we've just lost our love for God. Which is why it's, it's great reading books like I did on holiday when I mentioned um, a prayer meeting on Thursday this one by John Piper um, I don't think anything by John Piper is great he really just gets you back to enjoying God um, this one's called The Pleasures of God and uh, it looks at what is it that God himself takes delight in enjoy God, get back to focusing on God and that will cast down your doubts Another weapon the, uh, the devil uses is that of fear. Now, fear can take many different forms. Uh, probably the most common form of fear, I guess, for a lot of us here is what people think of us. You know, we're worried about what they might think of us. You know, whether it's the beliefs we, we hold, maybe it's the lifestyle we lead. What will they think if we say we have to lead a life this way? <coughs> Yeah, can I tell somebody tomorrow morning that I heard a sermon at church last night about the devil? What are they going to say about that? That's pretty weird, isn't it? Or if I say that, actually, I don't believe the world's problems are solvable by human effort or by, by legislation. They're only really solvable by the grace of God. He's the one who transforms lives. What do they think of that? What if I say, I found peace I've found hope in my life as a result of knowing Jesus Christ. It's not just fear of what people think, it's fear of the future, it's fear of losing control of uh, financial insecurity, fear of, of illness. Many different fears will creep into our lives. Fear is often more powerful than the thing itself which we are afraid of. And the devil <coughs> will use that Another weapon the devil uses um, finally is discouragement. Discouragement in its minor form, it's just being fed up. In its more serious form, 
be seriously depressed. And we all get fed up with things from time to time, don't we? You know, it doesn't have to be a major disaster in our life. It can be caused by the smallest of things, like a power cut, which hit me this week. We seem to get regularly a lower end. Six hours on Wednesday, the power was down. It could be the trains being blocked. It could be your exam results weren't quite as good as you'd hoped. Lots of different things will make us fed up. And the devil knows which of those things it is which will make us um, annoyed and angry and depressed. And he will focus on that. I wonder what it is that gets you down. You know, is it light irritations? Is it something bigger? Maybe the, the feeling that your life has no direction. Where am I going at the moment? What am I doing? Maybe it's being overwhelmed. All the responsibilities that you have, you just can't really cope. It's getting you down. Maybe it's the lack of a, a close relationship, an intimate relationship. Whatever it is, we need to adjust the spiritual cause of it. Rather than simply try and deal with a symptom. Why does this thing make me feel like I do? Why does it make me feel discouraged? Another book I've been reading while I was away is um, a very good book actually. I'll come back to this point in this book at some, some time. Um, it's by Tim Chester and it's called You Can Change. And it's, um, it's really a challenge for all of us to identify negative aspects of our, our character uh, or maybe a lack of certain godly characteristics. A certain fruit of the spirit which may not be in evidence of our lives. It's identifying what you want to, to be changed in your life and by God's grace seeking to change it. It's learned to be more like Jesus at the end of the day. It's, it's growing as his disciples. And all it requires is a desire to change and it's a belief that by God's grace and the words of this book, you can change. You can change. Don't let things discourage you. Look at what it is that's discouraging you and why it is and pray that you can change. Or doubts, fears, discouragement are some of the ways in which the devil tries to cause chaos in the work of God, ways in which he tries to undermine our faith, uh, ways in which he tries to separate us from God and his blessings. And there are many others we could mention, like temptation to immorality, pride, disagreement with others, false teaching, physical illness, and we haven't time to go into those now. But the key thing is here to take the devil seriously. To know where you yourself are vulnerable. And that will be different for each one of us here this evening. Because if we are serious about the threat, then we can be serious about praying for God's protection and God's strength, which is what I'll just finish off very briefly with now. Because the promise in this uh, passage here this evening is that the Lord will strengthen you and he will protect you. If we know what we are up against, if we know the enemy's tactics, and we know where we are vulnerable, then we are a long way to resisting him, and a long way to overpowering him. You know, when we, we know when we go into a situation where we will be vulnerable, that we will need to pray for God's help. You know, we know when certain thoughts come into our mind that we need to pray that God would cast them out. 
But remember that this is a series on praying for others and we need to be open, we need to be honest with each other about how we struggle. How can others pray for us? Now Paul asks the Thessalonians here to, to pray that he would be delivered from wicked and evil men. And the great encouragement that he gives to the Thessalonians is there in verse 3. It says, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. God has sent someone into the world who has been able to deal with Satan. That's his very own son. And having died on the cross, having taken the punishment for us that enabled us to be free from slavery to Satan, he rose from death, he ascended, and he now reigns on high, waiting for the time when he will come again and he will just defeat Satan forever. And that is why we can, as Paul urges the Ephesians, to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That is why we can stand, why we can continue to stand, why we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us. We have the upper hand in the battle. But let's not forget, we are still in the battle.